When a person is at war with others, when a person is known for arguments and quarreling and fighting, that expression of fighting is merely the overflow of the war within their own hearts. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. I'm Bill Wright, and Tom is continuing his current series titled War and Peace, Learning to Deal with Conflict. He has part three for you on today's broadcast. You know, most people live for pleasure in one form or another. Living only for pleasure, though, is absolutely deadly. It's deadly to your soul. It's deadly to your relationship to God. But is pleasure itself sinful? Well, according to James, pleasure is not sinful in and of itself. And as you'll learn today, true and legitimate pleasure comes to us from God. Now, before we begin today's program, here's Tom with some opening thoughts. Tom? In Scripture, we discover that pleasure can be either right and wholesome and holy, or it can be sinful. James is describing for us in James 4 pleasures that are sinful, that produce conflict, but we can find true and lasting pleasure only in one place, and that is in the person and character of God. And that's really where we ought to be pursuing that pleasure. It's found only there, and when we look for it in other places, we not only damage our relationship to God, but we damage our relationship to those around us as well. Thanks, Tom. And friend, let's open our Bibles and join our teacher now on The Word Unleashed. Many years ago, I had the opportunity, perhaps as some of you have had, to read Neil Postman's insightful book about the American culture. If you've not read it, I strongly encourage you to get it and to read it. It's called Amusing Ourselves to Death. Postman doesn't claim to be a Christian or an evangelical. In fact, He simply examines our culture as a sociologist would, sort of carefully pulling back layers of our corporate consciousness. In the introduction to his book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, Postman reminds us that in the middle of the 20th century, there were two famous men, both of whom wrote their predictions about where life in the West, where life in America was headed. One of those men was George Orwell. You remember reading his books. And particularly in his book, Animal Farm, Orwell drew a picture of his prediction of the future, which was a future of absolute world domination by Marxism and totalitarianism. The other man who wrote in the middle of the 20th century with his own predictions about what the future would look like was Aldous Huxley. Huxley, in his book, Brave New World, predicted that the future held not a future of slavery to oppressors, of totalitarian regimes controlling every facet of our lives. Rather, Huxley said, we are looking toward a brave new world, a future that is obsessed with the pursuit of trivial pleasure. In Orwell's world, Books were unnecessary because they would be burned. In Huxley's world, books were unnecessary because no one would read them. 
Orwell, of course, badly missed on his prediction. Huxley, on the other hand, proved himself, in this case anyway, to be a prophet. His view of the future has proven to be chillingly accurate. Most people in the West, and particularly here in American culture, do live for pleasure of one form or another. Living for pleasure, however, is absolutely deadly. It's deadly to the individual soul. It's deadly to one's relationship to God. The self-seeking pursuit of pleasure is devastating on all of our relationships. Because as we pursue pleasure, our pursuit of pleasure puts us up against and in conflict with the people around us. Now, as we talk about pleasure, before we continue to look at James chapter 4, that I make some careful distinctions so that you don't misunderstand James or me. The Bible does not say that pleasure in and of itself is sinful. In fact, we're told that God pursues his own pleasure. In Psalm 149 verse 4, the Lord takes pleasure in his people. In fact, Scripture makes it clear that there are legitimate pleasures that have been given by God to man. Psalm 37, verse 4, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You see, our world is filled with things in which we can find legitimate pleasure. Scripture tells us that food, for example, and times of feasting are one of those. We all enjoy that. The ancients did, and we do as well. You remember what Paul told Timothy, and that is that all things are given for our what? Enjoyment, if they're received with thanksgiving, a specific reference to food there in his letter to Timothy. We enjoy feasting. That was a part of Israel's world. It's a part of our world. That's a good thing. That's a legitimate pleasure. We enjoy family. We enjoy children. We find pleasure in friendship. We find pleasure in the joys of married love. All of these things are good and legitimate pleasures. In fact, Scripture tells us that heaven itself will be a place of consummate pleasure. Unlike the Islamic view of 70 virgins, Scripture tells us that instead we will find our pleasure, our ultimate pleasure, in God himself. Psalm 16, verse 11 says, In your presence is fullness of joy, and in your right hand there are pleasures forever. C.S. Lewis understood this reality in his book, The Screwtape Letters. And most of you are familiar with The Screwtape Letters. And in this particular book, C.S. Lewis writes as if this were a series of letters written by an older, more experienced demon to his young apprentice named Wormwood. And as this older demon writes, of course, you have to think sort of in a backwards way because he's writing as if he were the enemy of God, and it were good, what he's doing is good. But listen to what C.S. Lewis has this older, more experienced demon write to Wormwood, his younger apprentice. Never forget that when we are dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are, in a sense, on the enemy's ground. I know we've won many a soul through pleasure. All the same, 
It is his, that is a reference to God, it is his invention, not ours. He made the pleasures. All our research so far has not enabled us to produce one. All we can do is to encourage the humans to take the pleasures which our enemy has produced at times, are in ways, are in degrees which he has forbidden Hence, we always try to work away from the natural condition of any pleasure to that which is least natural. As ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure is the formula, end quote. Those are incredibly insightful words. That's exactly right. True and legitimate pleasure comes to us from God, and we are to enjoy that legitimate pleasure in this created world always with an eye to God's glory. It was Augustine who said that when we enjoy the things around us, we are always to enjoy those things with an eye to God's glory, and if we enjoy those things without an eye to God's glory, then those things have become to us idols. We are ultimately then to seek our true pleasure, our ultimate pleasure in our God. Now, just as there are legitimate pleasures that God has given us, as a good gift, an expression of his love and goodness to us, there are also, the scripture tells us, sinful pleasures, pleasures that are opposed to God. Now the question is, when is pleasure sinful? Well, let me give you three answers to that question. When is pleasure sinful? First of all, when legitimate pleasure, God-given pleasure, becomes more important to us than God is. When a God-given pleasure becomes more important to us than God, listen to 2 Timothy 3, verse 4. Paul, in describing to Timothy the last days, says, men shall be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. When pleasure, whether sinful pleasure, certainly, but Let's talk for a moment about legitimate pleasure. When legitimate pleasure becomes more important to us and we love it rather than God, then that pleasure has become sinful. When this happens, even a legitimate pleasure, a God-given pleasure, can become an idol of the heart. Pleasure is sinful, secondly, when legitimate pleasure is pursued in excess when legitimate pleasure is pursued in excess. As I mentioned before, food and feasting is a wonderful gift from God. I intend to do so at lunch in just a few minutes, as many of you do. That's a good thing. While Scripture commends that, Scripture encourages us to enjoy this good gift. At the same time, the same Scripture forbids gluttony. So a legitimate pleasure in excess can be sinful. A third way pleasure is sinful, and this is an obvious one, when Scripture forbids that pleasure. When it's a forbidden pleasure. For example, God has given us a wonderful gift of the physical relationship in marriage, but sex before marriage or outside of marriage is forbidden by Scripture. That pleasure is a sinful pleasure. And by the way, let me say generally about sinful pleasure... Whatever it is, make no mistake that sin often brings great short-term pleasure. 
I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25, where we're told that Moses chose to endure ill treatment with the people of God rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Oh yes, sin for a short time can be very pleasurable, very satisfying, but it's passing. It's short-lived. It never really satisfies. Samuel Johnson, the great famous 18th century scholar, said this, Of all that have tried the selfish experiment, let one come forth and say that he has succeeded. He that has made gold his idol, has it satisfied him? He that has toiled in the fields of ambition, has he been repaid? He that has ransacked every theater of sensual enjoyment, is he content? Can any answer in the affirmative? Not one. John McMurray says, the best cure for hedonism is the attempt to practice it. Someone gives themselves to pleasure, and they soon find that it is a cardboard dream, that it never satisfies. It simply creates an appetite for more and more and more. In fact, if you live to satisfy your cravings as a goal of life, you are not only living in rebellion against your Creator, but Scripture says you are a slave. Titus chapter 3, verse 3, speaking of unbelievers, describes them as being enslaved to their pleasures. The Jewish rabbis put it this way, speaking of those cravings of the heart, the evil impulse is first a wanderer who passes by, then a guest, and finally master of the house who gives orders. Now it's these sinful pleasures that James is referring to in chapter 4. Where do these cravings for sinful pleasures come from? Well, as we learned last time, they come from our flesh, from our fallenness, from that part of us that is not yet redeemed. These cravings arrive and arise. How do they affect us? Well, those who live to satisfy their cravings, and this is very important to understand, those who live to satisfy their cravings are internally in a constant state of war. Look at verse 1. The pleasures that wage war in your members. Members is a reference to the members of the human body. He's saying within you there rages a war. So the person who lives to satisfy his cravings has a war within his own heart. This is the same thing Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, where he speaks of those cravings that wage war against the soul. Now understand this. Where a person is living to satisfy their cravings, there is an internal war constantly raging. And when there is conflict with others, it is simply the spilling over, if you will, of that internal war that already exists in their own hearts. Notice verse 1 again. The source of the wars and battles among you, that is among you people, is the cravings within each of you. Listen carefully to what I'm about to say because this is absolutely crucial to understand. When a person is at war with others, when a person is known for arguments and quarreling and fighting, that expression of fighting is merely the overflow of the war within their own hearts. So these cravings, these lusts, these desires for pleasure of various kinds are the driving force 
not only, as we found in chapter 1 of James, behind temptation, but they're also the source of every quarrel and every argument that we ever have with others. Now, all of that was introduction. And the reason is it's very important for you to understand the nature of the pleasure that James is describing here. There are good and legitimate pleasures, and there are sinful pleasures. He's talking about sinful pleasures. Now, you follow along as I remind you of the flow of his argument here in James chapter 4, verse 1. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Now, it's hard to see on the surface the flow of the theme that ties that paragraph together. But it is a paragraph, there is a common theme, and the common theme is introduced to us in verse 1, where do these quarrels and fightings come from? The issue is conflict. That's the theme that lies behind this paragraph. And what we learn in this paragraph is that there are very specific steps that you and I must take in order to deal with interpersonal conflict. In fact, this paragraph contains several eminently practical steps for dealing with conflict in our lives. And the first comes in the first three verses. It's this, identify the true source of conflict. You see, before you and I can legitimately and adequately deal with the conflict in our lives, we must understand where it comes from. What's the source? Verse 1, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Now, the second part of verse 1, we could legitimately convert to a statement of fact. James says, the source of the quarrels and conflicts among you is your pleasures. You see, the pursuit of sinful pleasures or our efforts to satisfy the sinful cravings of our hearts is what creates quarrels and arguments. As we saw last time, the word pleasures translates the Greek word hedone. You recognize that word. It's the word from which we get our English word hedonism or hedonist. It came to be used of the pleasure or the desire of all the senses, and eventually it came to describe the desire of or the cravings of the heart. Get the picture that James is painting here. For all of us who are believers, there are still within us, growing out of that unredeemed part of us, strong desires, our cravings, that are continually assaulting our souls. Those cravings may be for position, for power, for influence, for peace, for security, for safety, to be married, not to be married, 
to have children, not to have children, any number of strong desires to be liked, to be accepted for sexual pleasure. There's any number of strong desires that could be resident within our hearts, but that's what he's describing. Those strong cravings that are attached to our unredeemed self, the flesh that still resides in us, even though we're a new person in Christ, we still retain the flesh, and attached to that are these cravings. They assault our souls. According to James chapter 1, verse 14, they lead us into temptation. And according to James chapter 4, verse 1, they lie behind every sinful conflict. Very important to understand that when you're involved in a quarrel, or when I'm in a quarrel, when we're in an argument, a fight with someone else, the issue, the true source of the conflict is not the issue we're arguing. It isn't the other person in the argument. The problem is us. The cravings of our hearts. You see, James pictures here the cravings of our hearts like a mighty army inside of us, ready at a moment's notice to declare war against anybody who stands in the way of our getting whatever it is we've set our hearts upon. Every time you find yourself in a quarrel, in an argument, in a verbal war, ask yourself this question, what self-centered craving am I trying to protect by engaging in this argument? Because that's what it always comes back to. Now, as we continue to look at what James teaches us here, James is still helping us to see the true source of our conflict. But notice the progression of his argument. In verse 1, he makes the point that self-seeking desires lie behind every conflict, every quarrel. And then in verse 2, he illustrates exactly how those desires produce quarrels and arguments. He's told us that it is these desires that produce them. And now in verse 2, he's going to give us a couple of illustrations to help us see how that actually happens. The first illustration is found at the beginning of verse 2. You lust and do not have. Now, the word lust is a synonym for the word pleasure. They're used together and synonymously here. The word lust simply means to crave, to have a strong desire, to set your heart on something. What's the relationship between lust and pleasure? Lust is the craving unfulfilled, and pleasure is the craving satisfied. And so he says, you crave and you do not have. You know, there are profound lessons about God's moral universe in that statement. God, in his great love, usually does not allow all of our cravings and desires to be fulfilled. And even when they are fulfilled, they never fully satisfy You see, our lives are crowded with discarded pleasures. Before we enjoyed them, each one promised to bring true, lasting satisfaction. But instead, it only created a greater appetite for more. It's like the maroon man dying of thirst, imagining that the salt water that he drinks is truly satisfying his thirst, when in reality it's only creating this greater appetite what truly satisfies. James writes, you crave and you do not have, so you commit murder. Now those are by design words intended to shock us. Remember, he's writing to Christians. There are those who believe that there were actual murders going on in the churches to which James wrote. 
But I think James really wants us to realize how evil our desires and the conflicts that they cause really are. You see, we're tempted to sort of dismiss them as unimportant, to assume that quarrels and fights are really not that big a deal. But James is warning us of where our sinful desires can lead us if we allow them to run unrestrained. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part three of his current series, War and Peace, Learning to Deal with Conflict. Tom will bring you part four on our next broadcast as he once again takes us to God's Word, and we do hope you'll join us then. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And be sure to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening. The Word Unleashed exists because God, in His Word, has given you every spiritual resource you need to grow in Jesus Christ. It's our prayer that the power of God's Word be unleashed in your life.